I've got a serious pet peeve about NBA draft coverage, and I need to express it. So be my therapy session next. It's locked on jazz. You are locked on jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice for Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. Today's Locked On Jazz for you for June 5th. A serious pet peeve about the NBA draft. Then we'll talk about Therese Walker and Taylor Hendricks, two players projected in the realm of the Jazz ninth pick. And the NBA Finals game number one is being talked about in the incorrect fashion. And I'll explain that to you next on the show. Uh, I am David Locke, radio voice of Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. And this is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Can you in these geeky numbers? And having just fixed my microphone, you probably should be able to hear me a little bit better than you did uh, right before him, the microphone setting is seems to be fixed. Uh, yes. Uh, today's show, as always, free and available on all podcasting apps as well as on YouTube. Uh, so feel free to jump board. We're going to do a fun little series on my Instagram this week at DLock09 on player highlight packages from the season. So we'll let you uh, enjoy that. Uh, coming up on my Instagram at DLock09 if you don't already follow me. Uh, there. Thanks very much for ev- all the everydayers. Back with you on this Monday. Uh, here's the plan. I'm with you until thir- through Thursday of next week, and then Leaf Tulane takes over and carries you to the draft, which would be good because he's better than I am on the draft stuff. So we've got nine days left to talk draft together. I'm excited uh, for it. I'll be checking the YouTube comments with some regularity uh, to kind of know where you guys are, what you're thinking about, what you're talking about. Um, thing. Today's show is brought to you in part by Prize Picks. Uh, first-time users receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. All right. I need a little therapy. I think I might have to do this research tonight and watch Kobe Bufkin and watch Taylor Hendricks, and, but I don't know how I actually do all these things, but that's at least the vision. So... If you listen to people talking about the players in the NBA draft, this has kind of been my ongoing thing, frankly. It's like, they're all great. They're they're not. Okay. There's a lot of them that might become pretty good NBA players. But like, I like Taylor Hendricks and I like Jarese Walker and we're going to talk about them coming up. They're not great. Like, I Victor Webinyama, okay. But there is a level right now where I'm listening to people talk about these players as though all of them are game-changing. All of them are going to alter everything you do. All No. No. In fact, most not. And there really should be a fundamental change in the way we talk. Now, I understand psychologically why we do this, and I understand why commentators do it, and I understand why fans do it, but it's a false hope 
narrative that bugs me. Maybe because I'm the only one who watches like these guys super critically. And then I come up talking about all the things I don't like. And then I feel like maybe it's personal. I mean, this is a therapy session. You're, you're going to have to help me out here. So my complaint is that if you listen to everyone talk about all of these players, they're all going to be great. It's, it's just not true. The fact is that after the 11th pick of the draft, 50% of them are not going to be rotation players in the NBA. Uh, I'll, I'll do the numbers, but on the top 10 players, like maybe one or two are going to be all pro all-stars. One's going to be an all pro, like an all NBA. Um, seven or eight of them will be regular rotation players and two of them will not be. What I never hear anyone talk, there's a better chance, I think, I'm certain, on on every player, there's a better chance they never play in the rotation than they become an all-star. And yet all I ever hear about is all the reasons are so great. Okay, by definition, they're pretty darn good because we're talking about them for the NBA draft. But there's got to be a critical thinking aspect of draft coverage And what it is, frankly, is for the draft, a lot of the draft experts, and I'll give Leif Tuline and Richard Stamen and Raphael Barlow of Locked On NBA Big Board a lot of credit because they're some of the few that aren't this way. But the truth of the matter, here's what's going on. On the draft experts, they're pretty tied in with the agents. And if they criticize a player talking about why they're going to be in the top, why they could be one that doesn't pan out, they're getting a phone call from the agent and there's massive money on the line for these players. And so it's not just a subtle phone call. It's a really, really like intense, you're screwing me call. And that quiets people. Two is the flow of information. So many of our reporters are beholden to agents and people for the flow of information. Third is guts. Third is, I don't want to be the one who criticized the player and have the player come and get me. I had, I I blew it on CJ McCollum. I totally blew it. I watched CJ McCollum against when he played against Duke and a few others. And he was at Lehigh. And my comment was that I really, really liked a lot of them, but I wished the mate, the, 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 the ball went in. Like he actually didn't shoot very well in those games. Okay. I'm not a draft. Like I watch these guys, but I don't have the acumen that everybody else does. So you have to be careful of these things. But CJ met me and was like, nice. You like some missed makes. He, he got in on me. Like, yeah, my bad. You're freaking a stud. My bad. I missed. There's got to be a little bit more of that in draft coverage. Now, I get it. The f- fourth and final reason is because guys like me who are only watching one or two or three games shouldn't really being be definitive in our criticism. We haven't watched them enough to do it. So what you have in the draft landscape right now is so few reporters that actually really cover it. Fewer reporters of that circle and that Venn diagram, beholden to agents, beholden to not criticizing players, reluctant to criticize a player because of the impact. That's a high group of them. There's very few of them that are floating outside of that circle. It's just generally also like being wrong scares the hell out of people. And then you have the group that I'm in which is guys that kind of dabble, but don't really dabble well enough that we should. And we probably don't have the right to be critical. So I'm probably out of line. But if you listen to draft coverage right now, it's a joke. So we should be, and then the third piece of the puzzle is a willing audience. And the willing audience, and I don't, is you want hope, right? 
This is like your next piece, your next jersey you're buying, your next favorite player. You want me, you want to believe that the ninth pick is going to change the course of the franchise. You want to believe that the sixth pick is going to change. You want to believe that you know who the app, who the who the flyer is at 16. I got it. But I just kind of like as we walk into the final nine days together and the final 14 days or 15 days before the draft, like let's just be a little realistic. It's like, all right, this gets to my second point. And this isn't as dramatic as I thought it was going to be. When, If you watch the NBA playoffs, if you can't shoot, you can't play, right? Aaron Gordon shoots 35.6% from three. He's the worst shooter that anyone's playing right now. Like not having Victor Oladipo is good for Miami. So let's just remember a few things here. Effective field goal percentage, which weighs three-point shooting. So in other words, like if you're a 33% three-point shooter, your effective field goal percentage is 50%, right? Because you're getting three points for the bucket. It's one point, three shots, three points, one make. Okay, you got me? Let me just walk through the draft for a second. The following players... On a spot-up shooting, effective field goal percentage is below 50%. Victor, Amon Thompson in high school, Dante George at 49%, Asur Thompson at 49%, Nick Smith, uh, Anthony Black, 44%, Therese Walker, 48%, Jalen Hood-Shafino, 29% spot-up effective field goal percentage. Chris Murray, 49%. Julian Phillips, 33%. Leonard Miller, 33%. Ryan Rupert, the Frenchman, 34% in the French League. Armar Bailey, who I like athletically, is 46%. Dylan Mitchell pulled himself out of the draft. Okay? So, like, that's just the main, main group there. Overall catch and shoot shooting percentage. This is probably a wide, generally an open three shot. Okay? Scoot Henderson, 32% effective field goal percentage. You don't hear from anyone. He might not be able to shoot. Amon Thompson, 42%. Keontae George, 49%. Stuart Thompson, 45%. Anthony Black, 48% in the 41st percentile. Dalen Hutchifino, 44% in the 32nd percentile. Same guys, Julian Phillips, Leonard Miller. Okay. Like, you got to shoot. Off the bounce dribble shooting. I think this can this is actually hard. I, I, I don't criticize a great deal for some of this. But um, worth noting. Percentile. Victor, 30 percentile. Scoot, 38 percentile. G League. Amon Thompson, 43 percentile in high school. Uh, Jarice Walker, or Jarris Walker, 49% or 29%. I'll talk about him in a second here. Leonard Miller, 34%. Uh, interestingly, Chris Murray, who everyone talks about as a shooter because he's Keegan Murray's brother, 45%. So, I just like have a little reality. Thank you. That was a therapy session. 
I needed that. I hope that was all right. I appreciate it immensely. Thank you for letting me go down that road. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Chevy. They're located in Woods Cross, also in Logan. The Chevy lineup of cars is just tremendous. The trucks are unequaled. Like there's nothing like the way a Chevy truck is made. There's nothing like how a Chevy truck drives. And that's why the Chevy truck is Americana and is the best out there. The trucks, there's the the Silverado lineup. There's five different versions of it. And there's the Colorado. And they're both just outstanding on the truck lineup of cars right now at Murdoch Chevy. The SUV lineup, getting better and better by the day. The Suburban and the Tahoe are the signatures, the Utah County Assault Vehicles. But then you've got the Equinox, the Traverse, the Blazer and the Trailblazers. They're all built fabulously. The Bolt electric car is a big winner as well. And the first ever all-electric Silverado truck is available in the fall of 2023. So check that out. It's all at Murdoch Chevy, located in Woods Cross and in Logan. If you're going to stop by, we'd love to help you out and give you that locked-on everyday or VIP experience. So please do stop by and give me an email first at dlock09 so we can give you that VIP experience. Today's show is also brought to you by Price Picks. Price Picks bringing you the opportunity to get a with the promo code locked on to get your guaranteed match uh, there. Plus, during the NBA Finals right now, the million dollar daily super flex promotion is taking place. Here's how it works: one Price Pick user will win a chance to become a millionaire. Uh, yeah, that's right. One entry placed on a selected day, and then you get a chance to pick the six-pick flex. If you get all six, you get a million. If you get five, you get 80,000. If you get four, you get 16,000. Full details are at prizepicks.com slash million, and you must opt in at that link to be eligible for the million-dollar entry. Prize picks, daily fantasy, made fun and easy. Pick two to six players, win up 25% of your money. You're not competing against others. You're just doing against the projections. And if you use the promo code LOCKDOWN, you get 100% deposit match up to $100 with the promo code LOCKDOWN. If you deposit $100, Price picks gives you 100. If you deposit 50, price picks gives you 50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on for the instant deposit match up to $100. Thanks so much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. And to the everydayers, huge shout out there. We greatly appreciate the time you spent on the show and listening to the show uh, as well. Uh, more draft breakdowns later as the week goes on. All right. Uh, Kid Kessler. Was out on the NBA. I hope you got to see it. Uh, hope He's having just a great personality, great fun. Uh, super for us to have him. Great way for the Jazz to be relevant. Uh, hopefully, being around that environment inspires him and lets him see it. Everything's still new for him. He's got great zest and enjoyment to it. Um, but I do think he has a quest to be great. And I think that's important, and we'll see that. I don't think he's going to – and I thought we saw just a lot of resiliency out of him this year when things went wrong. And I think that's about probably the most exciting um, aspect of things. All right. Um, I watched Jerese Walker and I watched Taylor Hendricks. Um, Kind of on my theme, there's a lot to really, really, really like. There's a lot to be really, really, really concerned about. So I got to watch them both more. I've watched one game where they played each other. Uh, Walker's interesting to me in that he's a willing passer. So uh, let me back up. I, I don't think that there should be assumed knowledge of who these guys are. Uh, Walker is out of Maryland, played at the University of Houston. He's unique in that he's 6'8", 240. Um, 
he shot 35% from three. Here's my huge concern. However, he shoots on the way down. This is something Ron Boone taught me. You go up and he shoots on the way down, which means he will not, it is very unlikely he can extend his range. Or he's going to have to change the way he shoots, which is difficult. Um, so I do not, and he's a 66% free throw shooter. He was the eighth ranked high school player in the country. So there's a lot like physical tools and skills, and it's a pretty interesting body. So my concern, if we're going to start these conversations with a concern, as I open the show today, is that he is, he, I do not think he'll be able to shoot at a high level in the NBA. I, I think he will have a, I think he will actually have a <laughs> really hard time um, shooting. I think it will not stretch out uh, on an NBA level. So that would be, now, again, there are guys that are way better than me. Uh, you know, Evan Brads of our staff should probably be the one making this comment, not me, um, in the sense that, like, looking at him. But that's that's what I saw, okay? Like, just immediately jumped out to me. Frankly, it was on a ball that went in, too. So it's like you, you're watching, you're like, ooh. So that's concerning. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit, like, body-wise and things of Isaac Okoro who is 6'5", 225, and Walker's bigger. He's 6'8", 240. What I really do think is interesting about him is that he moves the basketball very willingly. He makes passes that are one removed. He had a super catch on a opened up on a pick and roll inside traffic and finished it. He did jump off two feet, not one on that. So I'd like to watch him more and see if he's a one-foot jumper or a two-foot jumper. Um, my feeling is with his size, he might have to be a two-foot jumper, which will make things difficult on him. Uh, so that's, I mean, I think that the catch and the hands and the passing and the playing with teammates for an 18 year old kid was really impressive. The shooting's really problematic. He's supposed he's thought of, and I read a lot about him as a defensive player. I didn't see that. In fact, Taylor Hendricks just blows by him on a possession, um, to make and dunks left and baseline crosses him, moves him. I didn't see like twitchy side to side movement. That is what leads to a really, really good defensive player. Um, so, but this is, I mean, this kid's like come been a big time kid forever. He's a five-star recruit. He's one of the top players in the 2020 draft. He had a good college year, but those are like, if I'm being a little bit more like honest, those are my things. Nice player. Like the way he plays with teammates, likes the way he plays the game going to be super interesting to me to see like whether or not he learns how to extend it because what I saw was a guy who I think will have a hard time extending with his shot and then his dribble games fine but I didn't see like I haven't seen massive explosion around the rim that tells me he can turn that dribble drive game into an NBA like finish game we'll see um again like I, I I I did mean it when I put myself in the classification of guys who just dabble in this and don't probably spend enough time but um, his numbers back up a little bit of what I think I saw. Um, his rib percentage finishing is elite, like 84 percentile. So that's really, really good. His isolation numbers in 36 attempts was not good. So I, I think that backs up a little bit what I thought I saw. Okay. Taylor Hendricks is super interesting. So Taylor Hendricks is 6'9 and a quarter, 214 pounds. He's 19 and a half years old for a freshman, which is old. 
I think he's he and Jerese Walker are two of the older freshmen out there. Grady Dick's about the same. They're all about. They're similar. They're a little under 20. The old ones are Amon and Asua are both 20 and a half years old. Um, and Jordan Hawkins is 21 as a sophomore. But not, freshman at 19 and a half is about right. All right. Taylor Hendricks, I got why you love him. Taylor Hendricks, like if he's your favorite player in the draft, I got it. Like probably not because of Victor, but like he's beautiful. He's 6'9". He's 214 pounds. He'll be 6'9", 225 when he gets older. He moves incredibly. When he runs, he's a flash. Like it's incredible. Um, He elevates with ease. Like when he's caught a ball in down low, just up and dunk. Like it's, I mean, it's incredible. The natural skill set, his shot is comfortable. Like it's, it's a comfortable, beautiful, took a lot of corner threes. Um, He did take like an off the bounce pull up uh, in the game I was watching out of like, without a pass possession and it banked in, but his 39% shooting is probably three, like seems really replicable in the NBA. He doesn't have a clue how to play the game. Okay. So like no one's saying these things, but I'm going to say it like simple things drove the lane, probably should have gone up himself low skipping bounce pass in traffic to a 610 teammate. No. Moving on the floor into driving lanes with regularity, not really getting spacing, poor closeouts. Um uh outrun in transition early in a game where he just didn't hustle enough to get back. Um uh, soft going to a pass, allowing the defender to come over his shoulder to steal it to go the other way. Next possession ripped from the ball out of his hands. The most incredible athletic block at the rim on two different plays in a span of 10 minutes. The most incredible running the floor. Like, if he's at nine, I think you have to take him. But then the expectation, like, I, I don't know if he can play yet. At all. Not like, not like dribble handoffs with your body in the complete worst position. Sideways, not vert, not horizontal. Pick and roll play opened up completely wrong with his footwork. There's no instincts. No instincts. Cutting. Defensively, you can feel it. Like not sure where to go. But the. 6'9", 215, that's going to be 220, that jumps out of the gym, that absolutely can do, oh, yeah, give me that. But that's the, like, we, this is a little bit to my open, like, yes, like Taylor Hendricks, nine, yes. With the understanding that that's a process. All right, NBA Finals thoughts on game one. Coming to you uh, as we continue here on Locked on Jess. 
So I think the narrative that's going to be built in the next 48 hours, because you look at the box score and you see it, is that Nikola Jokic became a shooter, not a passer, and so Miami won game number one. Yeah, that's not true. Um, Well, the first thing is true, that Jokic took 28 shots, Murray took 15, Nobody Brown took nine, and they did. They that Jokic, they did, they did, in fact, guard Jokic one on one. He was in the lane. They didn't like ignore him, by the way. They brought a double after he put it on the floor a few times. And he scored 16 of 28 and scored 41 points. So that is true. What's not true is that that's why they won the game. They won the game because they went 17 of 35 from three because their offensive rating, which was a 120, was close to a 130 in the next night. And because Denver, for whatever weird reason, didn't play the first five minutes of the first and third quarters. Eric Spolster made a bunch of interesting adjustments. A 1-3-1 zone in which he like basically put a little guy on Jokic and just made it super difficult for Jokic to get to his spots. They went to a five-out offense that allowed them to suddenly get shots at the rim at a much higher level um, than they have than they were before. Um, in fact, in the first quarter, I don't think they got a shot at the rim. In the second quarter, they got about two or three Miami did. Then they got four in the third quarter, and then they got three in the fourth quarter. Um, so I think that you, you know, there are a bunch of adjustments and things that happen. The the one that's just not accurate is that they slowed down Denver's offense at all. It's an incredible win for Miami. The resilient they played 48 minutes. It's pretty awesome. But if you look at the advanced metrics just on the game alone, not even looking at periods of time, the offensive rating of the Denver Nuggets was a 124, which is better than their offensive rating of what they had in game one. But Miami's was a 129. And frankly, if you kind of like, if you want to take it that, okay, the game was probably for the most part, now it got down to a final shot and a final moment. So I'm not sure I totally believe this. If you kind of even want to say, okay, before the three point shooting barrage that happened with at the, about the 337 mark when Miami's up eight or nine, Denver's offensive rating is still a 117.3. Now it's actually better when Jokic was off the floor at that point. So that's probably worth noting. What I do think they did is exploited Jokic defensively a little bit. And then they just hit a crazy amount of threes. So there are a bunch of adjustments that were made, a bunch of fun stuff that took place. But I do I do think that the, the narrative that is out there is a little inaccurate. I'm doing uh, Locked on NBA today with Howard Back. Um, and so we'll have more on that and, and talking about it on the show if you want to check that out next as your kind of second listen of the day. Or you can go to NBA uh, Big Board for your second listen of the day as well. All right, that is Locked on Jazz. Thanks so much for tuning in. More draft breakdowns. I want your guys' thoughts um, on all this. Then on our Instagram at DLock09, we'll have a lot of fun with our kind of our features of the week with our player uh, highlights of the year. So feel free to jump on, on those. All right, it is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast in Utah Jazz, giving insight, expertise, geeky numbers. Thanks so much. Locked on NBA with Howard Beck will be up today. Locked on NBA Big Board with Raphael, Richard Stamen, and Leif Tulin are both are all awesome. Talk to you soon.